Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 25, starts with verse 31. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, there are some red pew Bibles like this one, uh, or maybe some black large print ones in the pew, and it starts on page 831 if you're in a red pew Bible. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the very word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks be to God. Do you ever um, open God's word and it speaks and you tremble when it's over? I have to confess that uh, in my desire to regularly spend time in God's word, um, Oftentimes it, it comes a little bit um, complacent. I just, I just um, open the, the passage and I read through it. And oftentimes there's good stuff in it. I'll highlight, I mark up my Bible, um, and then I'll put it away and go on living my day. I don't know that you can do that today. I don't know that as you hear God's Word today that you can... Um, Complacently put it aside. Uh, Jesus, in one of the five great teachings in the Gospel of Matthew, is speaking powerfully into our situation. Now, in fairness, um, we uh, I've shared with you over and over again, oftentimes when we come to God's Word, one of the reasons that we don't understand it is because uh, we don't. Um, we are not asking the right questions. Jesus makes incredible promises to us uh, that if we ask, we he will respond. If we seek, we will find. Right. If we knock, the door will be open to us. Um, 
and so uh, Jesus loves questions. He loves them. Um, but sometimes we ask the wrong one. And it's kind of an example of that today. Jesus is on, let me place this for a second. Jesus is on Tuesday night of Holy Week. He's come into, uh, a couple days before, he came into Jerusalem and the crowds received him. We celebrated this last Palm Sunday, right? And they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're our man, Jesus. We are, we are with you. We are behind you. And it was an amazing day. The next day, um, Jesus went to the temple on Monday and, and um, overturned the tables in the court of the Gentile. He said, you've taken God's house, a place of prayer, and made it a den of thieves. Do you want to make friends? Don't call them thieves, right? You, you want to you wanna, um, build a popularity base? Don't turn tables over and, and, and create a scene. And definitely don't speak truth. But Jesus had such a heart for Gentiles like me, right? He wanted, he knew there was a place for non-Jews in the kingdom of God and they created in the temple a place for them to worship and, and his heart would not allow him to see people ruin it for those who didn't yet know him. And, and so uh, he turned over the tables. Well, he created a firestorm and on Tuesday, um, all literally all hell broke loose and the religious types came to him and confronted him and he spent the whole morning and afternoon in um, controversy after controversy, not with unbelievers, but with believers who didn't get it, right? Uh, with religious leaders. And, and then um, that night, that night as, as he was leaving um, Jerusalem, it's, it's the week before Passover, the city is swelling with people coming from all over the world. They're required by the law to come. If they were able to come to Jerusalem, the city is swelling with all these um, uh, people coming for Passover. And, and Jesus is leaving Jerusalem to go stay with Lazarus and Mary and Martha in Bethany. And as they come up this hill, and some of you have made this walk, as they come up out of the Kidron Valley, you have to go down from Jerusalem into the valley, and then you start coming up the other side the city dawns before you. Now, this is the end of the day, right? The last time I was in Jerusalem, we came into Jerusalem right as the sun was setting and those white limestone buildings just lit up. It was stunning. And as those disciples went up that hill and looked back on the old city, as they climbed the Mount of Olives and looked back on the city, they said, oh, Jesus, look at this. Just look at this, right? It is so beautiful. They're kind of quoting a psalm. <laughs> Great is the city of Zion, beautiful in elevation, right? But did Jesus says something that astounded them. He said, not one of those stones is going to remain on another. I, I was scrambling to try to think, is there some, some com point of comparison for me here? I can't, I, can't, I, I can't think of a good enough one. Let me just hack my way into one that maybe you could understand. 
But if you were to go to Washington, D.C., and, and to go down that grand mall that focuses on one building at the end of it, right? At one end is the Washington Monument, beautiful in itself. At the other end is a magnificent building. Any, any uh, people will figure out which one I'm talking about? Uh, the Capitol Building, right? Imagine looking at that, being stunned by it. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Lit up or unlit up, it's beautiful. But imagine God saying to you right then, not one of those stones is going to remain on another. You wouldn't have a frame of reference for this, right? You'd be taken aback. That's the place we're jumping into the story. That's the, the entry point into the story. Jesus has just said at the at the end of Matthew chapter 23, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. He could have named any city in the world right now, but, but he named Jerusalem right then. How often, he says, would I, would I have gathered your children together like a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you weren't willing. You weren't willing. I tell you, you will not see me again, Jesus said. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the Lord. And Jesus left the temple and was going away when the disciples made this comment. Well, well, what, how did they, how did they misunderstand? I, I, I'm not anyway judging them because I would have done the exact, I have done. What a beautiful city. Even now, what a beautiful city without the temple. Imagine what it was with the temple. And, and Jesus says, not one stone will be left. Well, they ask a couple of questions right there. Uh, two questions. When, Jesus, when will this all take place? Have you ever been tempted to ask Jesus the when question? Oh, I have. By the way, if you're willing to ask that question, there are countless people who will give you an answer. <laughs> Some of you live long enough to experience that. The end of the world dates, Right. We've had a couple since I've been here at all of that major religions who have said, this is the day, this is the time when this is going to happen. And, and, um, and it didn't. And people scrambled after that. The disciples want to know the same thing. When will all these things take place? And, and what will be the sign? How will we know, Jesus, that this is about to happen? How will we know that you're coming again and that this is the very end of the age? And Jesus responds with two chapters in Matthew uh, uh, of teaching. And this is where I ran aground this week. I realized that you couldn't fully understand our passage unless you um, at least had some understanding of the rest of it. So I'm going to do two things. I want to, I want to give you a 30,000-foot view of the Olivet Discourse. Isn't that ironic? The Olivet Discourse comes not from Olivet Church, but become the Mount of Olives. Jesus gave the fifth major teaching recorded in Matthew, and it was about the end times. It was about the end of the age. But have you ever been flying uh, across country or somewhere and you look down below and, and you can see the rivers and you could maybe even make out a freeway or something and, and you got a different perspective at 30,000 feet than you did if you're on the ground in a car, right, or walking? Uh, I, I'd like, if I can, I, I'm begging your forgiveness because I cannot do it justice, but I'd like to try a 30,000 foot flyby and then land in our passage 
uh, and see if uh, my goal is just to make you hungry today, to go back in in the middle of the week and and let God's word speak to you again. So so how do we how do we dig in? Uh, Jesus answers their questions like he does for, for any who ask him prophetic or apocalyptic questions, right? But he answers it not in the way that they wanted, but in the way that they really needed. And, and I'm guessing that you, like me, have experienced that, that you ask God for something and praise God he doesn't give you what you ask for, right? Because you ask for what you wanted, but he knows what you really need, Right? And, and, and in love, he doesn't give you what you wanted, but gives you what you need. And as to the question of when, he, he says something astounding. He says, no one, but the Father knows that. In other words, the angels don't know it. And not even Jesus in his humanity knew the answer to that question. When, chronologically, Jesus or God is this, they're asking Jesus, when Jesus is going to, I don't know. The Father has not revealed that to me. And we've seen below, before that, that there's two kinds of time. There's human chronos and, and there's God's kairos, that God moment that doesn't always fit into. You can't plan for it. You can't schedule it. It just happens. So Jesus doesn't tell them the times and dates, but instead... He tells them what they must do. He tells them what they must do. And, and what, you ask, are they to do? Um, I'm going to do a massive oversimplification and say, he tells them to prepare. Prepare. Let me ask you a question. Has fall arrived? This is going to sound like a trick question. It's not. Has fall arrived? <coughs> How do you know? Pardon me? Yeah. 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 You know, right? And, and you know what comes after fall in Evansville, Indiana, right? It, um, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this stuff out, right? There are signs of the times. Uh, now, in Evansville, it's a little tricky. We got a fake winter uh, early in the fall and then, and then we're summer again. And so it's kind of hit and miss for a while. But my yard says that it's fall, right? And, and I'm ignoring it, but my yard is speaking, right? Let me ask you a couple more questions, if I can. Are we living in the end times? Ooh. Pardon me? A couple of yeses, a lot of, of um, heads nodding, and a lot of people saying, uh, that sounds like a trick question. I don't think I have any trick questions for you today, okay? How do you know? We're living in the end times. This passage tells you exactly the signs of the end times. Matt, this all of that discourse, Matthew 24, tells you. And, and let me just, I've got a little shiver going down my spine, right, as I'm speaking right here. It scares the bejeebers out of me. Um, because because it's, it's like Jesus was living today and naming the situations. Now, let me just say, I invite you to go back in tomorrow. Start with that one, Matthew 24. Start there tomorrow to go in and investigate this for yourself. I just want to cut to the chase and say for a second, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear the end times, right? 
Um, uh, you just have to know that we're in it. And there is a, there is a response. There is a response that is appropriate for a follower of Jesus in the midst of the end times. Let me ask you another question. Has the Lord returned already? How do you know? I'm sorry? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I can't tell where that's coming from. Is that Tom back there? Um, Absolutely. And he says it right here in this passage. No, you say, well, duh, right? Hey, it's not duh. My sister, I think she's still there, is back in Korea. My sister is meeting with the mother of God in Korea right now, she thinks. Right? There, the things that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 24 are happening right here. There are false prophets who are saying, just like they were in Jesus' day, that the Messiah has already come again. It's in Paul's day, not Jesus' day. That the Messiah has already come again. That's happening. It's incredible, you guys. And I ask you again, how do you know? There's signs all over the place that we're in the age that Jesus was speaking about. Have I set the table enough for you here? This is important stuff, right? This is important stuff. And that's why I I beg you, uh, if I don't do it as I go here, I'll give you a a day, each day, something you can investigate. You can use the soaps method. I apologize. I think I left the bookmarks upstairs. But but, um, you can open God's word each day this week and, and, and find out exactly what. It is you need to do. I just want to fly at 30,000 today to tweak your interest, to, to get you engaged, right? So what do we do? Everyone knows that the Lord has not returned. Tom nailed it. I think it was Tom. Uh, he says, every eye is going to see this, right? And I told my sister that. She says, well, Jesus came back in the 40s in Korea, and now he's died again. I go, where in the world are you getting that from? You know, how? Because of many passages, including this one, uh, that say when he comes again, everybody's going to know. That's the good news. What's the bad news? <sighs> then it's too late. And I'm morbidly afraid that I'm not going to say this at the end of our service. So I'm going to say it now and then may probably again. Jesus is speaking of the end, but we're not there yet. There's still time. There is still time for you to respond to Jesus. So we know that the Lord has not returned because when he does, everyone is going to know it and everyone's going to see it. So let me go back to the other question. What do we do in these in-between times? We're at the end. Jesus hasn't yet. He's come the first time, but he's not yet returned. What do we do in this time? And, and let me, let me um, put it in a different question form. The great question for us is, how do we prepare? How do we prepare for Jesus' return? That's what the Olivet, isn't that cool? That's what the Olivet Discourse was about. I know God would be honored if we would respond, we, Olivet, would respond to his word by learning how we can prepare. And we were laughing uh, in, in Sunday school today just because there's people that are preparing for zombie acomp- apocalypses. Accomplices, <laughs> and they're preparing for all kinds of stuff, right? And um, um, and I was just saying, the most part, they're not preparing in the way that Jesus invites us to, right? 
Um, he doesn't care about our physical property. He doesn't even care ultimately about, and that sounds terrible, in relationship, our physical lives. So that if Asia were to lose her life for her faith, um, Jesus would still be glorified, right? Uh, um, what he does care about is what's going on in our hearts, whether our hearts are turning to him. So um, at 30,000 feet, we can see some very clear things. In Matthew 24, verses, by the way, the beginning of Matthew 24, it scares the daylights out of people, and it should. I had a roommate um, in college who was um, uh, uh, living the college life. Let me put it that way. He had at one point um, embraced the faith and uh, in the way that he thought was appropriate and got to college. All that freedom was too much for him. Finally, I had the conversation. If I have to scrape you off the streets of Westwood one more time. <laughs> and I invited him one night to go to a place, uh, amazingly, where Karen was that night. But I did not meet her for about five more years. My wife, Karen. Um, but we went to a movie, and it was, uh, the name is Escaping Me, Thief in the Night. Anybody old enough to remember that movie? And, uh, and, and it, it was based on this passage. You'll be in the field, two people working in the field, and all of a sudden one is taken, and the other is left behind. Later, many years later, another whole series, it's taken a lot of ridicule for the series, but it was based on this idea that, God is coming again. And if you're not ready, you will be left behind, right? And, and so the first part of Matthew 24, he's setting the table for, for how urgent this is. The day of the Lord is coming. But beginning in verse 32 of Matthew 24, Jesus gives us something that we can do. And I'm going to make rash generalizations and they're going to kind of merge together. But I want you to have something practical that you can do as a result of our 30,000 foot flyby. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 32 and following, you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. Therefore, be watchful. Be watchful. And he's not just talking about... Um, uh, Kristen had no idea when she chose the music that I was going to go that direction. It's not just open our eyes, God, to see you, but it's also open our eyes, Lord, to see what you're doing in the world around us. Be watchful. Be diligent. Right? How many times have you woken up in the middle of the night and, and, and you couldn't understand? You think, why is this? Right? And you hem and haw around. You, you try all the little tricks you do to go back to sleep. And then it dawns on you. Maybe God woke you up, right? And, and you start to think through the world around you and you realize that, that something critical is going on. On uh, Friday night, it happened for me, Karen is traveling, she's in um, Ann Arbor, and, and, and I just woke up at 1 o'clock and, and I did that whole ritual of rats. I didn't want to wake up right now. Uh, and then realized, um, no, probably the Lord did. And I had something big going on on Saturday. And, and I just began praying for that. Saturday, I get to the event. And another person says, you wouldn't believe what God did. He woke me up at 1 o'clock last night. And, and finally, I realized he wanted me to pray about this event on Saturday. Um, God was moving, right? He's always moving. Be watchful. Be watchful. Be alert. Jesus invites you, right? 
Then he goes on in Matthew um, 24. He gives an example of two servants, one who was wise and faithful and uh, uh, another who he calls wicked. Right. And the idea was that the master had left and, and one did what the master wanted while the master was gone. The other one thought to himself, um, you know what? The master's not here. Woohoo. Right. Uh, and and didn't do what the master asked. And then guess what? Guess what? Guess who came back? The master returned. The master returned and and um, blessed. And there was suffering as a result. What is what is the invitation at 30,000 feet? Not only be watchful, but be wise. Be like the first servant. God has set a path for you. Walk in that path. And, and yeah, some of you walked in that path for 30, 40, I'm not going to name names, but 70, 80 years, right? And, and still the master hasn't returned yet. Was that all for nothing? Not at all. Not at all. I was sharing with one precious saint just a few moments ago um, the testimony of your life, even in just your presence with us here, it's powerful, powerful. My life's different. As a result of that, be watchful, be wise, but also be ready. Now, in Matthew 25, uh, he opens a very familiar parable to us. Now, this is a parable of the ten virgins. Have you remember that one? Uh, They're waiting in the beautiful imagery that I don't have time to go into right here. The wedding imagery, the waiting for the groom to come back. And the groom came back on no notice and took the bride. Would have been a lot simpler in my life if I had followed this scripture uh, way back when. But he they comes back unannounced, takes the bride, and they go into the celebration and they shut the door behind them. And and in this this imagery that they could easily understand, five of them were not ready, right? Five of them didn't have enough oil to make it, and they went to the seven eleven while while uh, the groom was gone. When he came back, they missed the time of his coming. Be ready. Be ready. Jesus says, you do not know, Matthew 24, 13, on what day your Lord is coming. Here's the trick. We don't know either. He might come tonight. Say that with me, would you? Jesus might come tonight. Will you say that again? Jesus might come tonight. Would you live your afternoon a little differently if you really believe that to be true? Would you? Oh, yes. I'll be calling several of you for forgiveness before the afternoon is over, right? But here's the trick. We, he might not come for 30 years, right? I have to live in such a way that I'm ready if he comes tonight and I've been a good steward of everything he has entrusted to me, my wife, my kids, the resources. I have to be a good steward of those things too for 30 years, right? We don't know what it is that he's going to do. We have to live in that tension. I have to tell you, I don't know why I'm telling you this uh, other than sheer embarrassment, but um, when I was in college, there was a bunch of us who um, made a covenant together. And it was a tongue-in-cheek covenant, I should say that, because the group was called Bachelors to the Rapture, right? And, and the tongue-in-cheek part was that none of us wanted to be bachelors. 
But we did want Jesus to wait until we were able to get married before he came, right? Um, think about it. And, um, and so there, one, of, one of our guys took that really seriously. And he's still a bachelor until the rapture. <laughs> I, you know, we didn't do the wine bottle thing, but, but he would have earned it, right? Um, it was, it was um, Jesus, I know you're coming. And I, wanna, I want some things to happen in my life before you come. In our case, I want to get married before you come. Um, we have to be ready. Because that coming might be tonight. And it might not be for 30 years. Then he tells yet another one, a very familiar one. I feel so bad at flying at 30,000 feet, but he tells the parable of the talents, right? This amazing story about what are you doing with the things that God has given you. This is... if if. If the first thing, the, the, um, the, the ten virgins was about he might come tonight, the parable of the talents is about he might not come in 30 years, right? And what are you doing with the things that he's entrusted to you? And the implication is to be faithful with them. Be faithful with them. Remember what we celebrated just a moment ago? His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set You over much. And then my favorite line of this whole thing, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. There's joy set before us. Those of you who are hurting and can't lift up your eyes, there's joy set before you. Those of you who are lonely and in places of darkness, there is joy set before you. And those of you who are grieving, there's joy. And those of you who are, are, are in a, a season of contentment, praise God. But there's joy unspeakable before you. Be faithful. Be faithful in this in-between time. How? How do I do that? Many of you uh, in, in your Sunday school classes are working through this good and beautiful community. And in your study this morning, you learned that, that um, what you do with your time and your treasure and your talents is a reflection of, of your faithfulness. Um, that you have amazing resources uh, uh, of, of time. So I don't have any time. What are you talking about? Really? Really? Just in preparing for this last night, I just realized, even last evening, how many little distractions, how many little odds and ends of things I did and little bunny trails I went down that, that weren't a good use of my time, right? Um, you have amazing resources. You guys are so gifted. On a regular basis, I experienced this. You've experienced it this morning with the gifts of the worship team this morning. They came yesterday to prepare. They were back here early this morning to do that. They used their gifts to bless. You would not believe the number, and you know who you are, of secret servants that walk this place. I know that because I'm here a lot. And these people that come in and do these things... And, and nobody ever sees it, but they offer their ability to the body of Christ. Um, they offer their talents. And I'm so grateful to God for those of you who risk believing that if you're a good steward of your treasure, that God will, that God will bless you. Okay, am I the only one that was tempted by the 1.6, was it that what it was? Billion 
dollar lottery. I thought, oh, I have all kinds of great rationales. Oh, God, what could you do? And this little voice comes back, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine, right? But, but, but God, you really need to win the lottery. If, if, you, if you win the lottery, God, I will give you 50% of it. $800 million I'll keep for myself. Um, I'm, not, I'm not judging you um, uh, if you play the lottery. Um, uh, not at all. I, I just pray that you do it for entertainment, not for provision. Did you follow that? Um, um, my mom is a saint, and she would say, well, somebody's got to win the publisher's clearinghouse thing. <laughs> my mom, that's going down right now, too, isn't it? My mom tried for 83 years, I think, <laughs> to uh, win the publisher's clearinghouse, right? It's, it's fun. That's fine. But see, I was tempted to put my trust in that. Um, and, and God gave me um, an amazing blessing for hanging on for dear life and that value that I have. Um, and he gave me a blessing as a result of that. Trust in him. Be faithful in the things that he has given you. All through the Proverbs, um, don't put your trust in instant riches. Instead, invest the little widow's might that he's given you in the kingdom of God and see if he doesn't bless you richly. Let me just give you one more secret from this and invite you to go back into that passage later. Your perception of God dramatically affects both your faithfulness and your fruitfulness. Write that down for a second, and then let me try and explain what I mean. Your perception of God impacts both dramatically affects both your faithfulness and your fruitfulness. The problem for the wicked servant in that was that he thought God was a wicked, angry God. And many of you had parents, mothers, and fathers who did not represent did not do what God invited them to do and represent the image of God to you. And so you just naturally transferred that image onto God like this man did. Like this man did. Oh, I knew you were wicked and so I just kind of buried it, you know, right? And, and, um, and then here it is. It's kind of dirty and moldy, but, but here it is. Um, what is your perception of God? Is it one of scarcity? Is it one of, of, of I got I to gotta hold on because God doesn't love me enough to provide for my needs? Those images affect us, right? What's your perception of God? Or is it one of a, of a loving father who, who loves you more than you could ever imagine and wants to give you every good? Remember, that's how this whole Matthew thing started. Sermon on the Mount. He wants to give you good things. Your image of God is important. If you're struggling with that, ask for help. Find a trusted brother or sister. I would love to walk with you. Let's, let's reorient our understanding of who God is. Well, lastly, we get to our passage today. And I, I, again, I apologize for flying at 30,000 feet. But Jesus then declares the Son of Man is coming. When the Son of Man comes in all His glory... He's going to separate the sheep from the goats, right? 
There is a day coming when God will separate the sheep from the goats. And here's the really terrifying thing. He didn't say he'll separate the sheep from the wolves, did he? He didn't. Some of you are just grasping for the first time that truth. These sheep and goats have have spent the day together. They have spent their life together. They got along famously, right? And, and some of them were destined for eternal joy. And some of them were destined for eternal separation from God. The king of glory is coming again. And, and it's important whether we are sheep or goats And I'm going to stay in this passage. I know the balance of Scripture. Don't go arguing with me about all these other things. Do I know grace? Do I? Do I preach grace? Do I? Okay, I do. I understand grace, right? But but in this passage, the thing that differentiated between the sheep and the goats were what you did to the least of these. Right? To the ones that could not care for themselves. Right? What you did for the incarcerated, for the naked, for the hungry. You can spend your life serving all those things. And if your heart's not in the right place, it won't matter. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, what, what I want to invite you to is this life of grace that having been forgiven, having understand that, understood that, that Jesus loves you and gave his life for you, you in love reach out to the ones that cannot care for themselves. And many of them are in this room. My brothers. The least of these, my brothers, right? There is a day coming when we will... Did I ever say the word? Um, That passage is about accountability. When we will be called to account, right? And and, uh, that day is coming. This is not that day. I did say it. This is not that day. There is time, beloved. There's time to live into the grace that is already yours. The grace that was paid for by the body and blood of the very person who is speaking these words. He said these right before, just a couple of days before he gave his life for you and invited you to own that, that you are worth dying for And that God wants to work through you to love the least of these, his brothers. So I want to invite you, um, dig deep into God's word this week. I wonder, Michael, if you would do me a favor. Would you um, go up into the red room and get the orange uh, bookmarks off of that and put them on the center table back there? Because I'll forget afterwards. But I want to invite you to break up this passage into these five ways that we have today. And, and go back into God's word. We flew at 30,000 feet. Imagine what there is at, at five foot five, whatever height you are, right? Imagine what God has for you. Dig deep into God's word. And then in radical obedience, you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you who long for the Lord's coming, come remember him at the table of the Lord today and and bring your baptized children bring your family with you
um, come to the table of the Lord and let's remember not only his words, but let's remember the Lord who's coming again in glory. Would you put them on the center table back there, Mike? Thank you. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you uh, so much that your word never returns to you void, that that it always accomplishes its purpose. In just a few moments, we're going to walk out these doors, Lord, and, and we're going to go right back to our regular life. And, and like the other parable, the, the word is going to be sitting on the hardened soil of our hearts and vulnerable to being picked off. So, God, I just ask you, even as we confess our sins, as we come to your table for grace in our time of need, soften our hearts. Let your word take deep root. And God, I just rejoice for the transformation that's going to happen in us and through us as a result. Oh God, help us to put our weight down on Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen.